1: Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Hey, it's Chad. This special episode of the Chad and Cheese Podcast has everything you want. AI automation, and academics, questioning, hiring process, and algorithmic decision-making. Get that. Welcome to NYU's Institute for Public Knowledge co-opting AI series on the Chad and Cheese podcast. All I can say is thank heavens for tenure. Let's join the action with the introductions. Enjoy.
2: Dr. Foma Juna is an associate professor of law with tenure at UNC School of Law, where she also is the founding director of the AI decision making research program. She has been faculty associate at the Berkman Klein Center at Harvard Law School since 2017. Her research focuses on race and the law, law and technology, and importantly, employment and labor law. Her work has been widely published in very many high-impact journals, among them the California Law Review, Cardozo Law Review, Fordham Law Review, and many more. Um, she also is an avid public scholar. She has op-eds out with the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, and so on. She has testified before the U.S. Congressional Committee on Education and Labor and has spoken before governmental agencies such as the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And she also has a forthcoming book called The Quantified Worker, Law and Technology in the Modern Workplace, which I'm also very excited about. Now, my other two guests are kind of come together. Uh, Joel Cheeseman and Chad <laughs> <laughs> Savage. Joel oh Cheeseman is a recruiting industry tech geek. His words, not mine. Uh, from the late 90s, when he worked at Eastman, one of the world's first job boards, as well as job options, career board, jobbing, and recruiting.com. He also did partnership (laughs) stuff at Employee Screening IQ. Um, But you will probably know him from his days as Cheese Ad. Um, Joe likes to tinker, which means he has started a variety of businesses. And his uh, latest venture is a market sentiment platform called Poach. He is the co-founder of the Chet and Cheese podcast, which is um, the thing the two do together. and Joel does this together with Chad Sovash. Chad, if you could wave too, um, say hello. Um, hello. Chad has actually worked, hello, in the HR talent acquisition and HR tech space for over 20 years, consulting hundreds of Fortune 500 companies. Um, he is a former army infantry drill surgeon who cut his teeth in online recruitment in 98. With an outfit called Online Career Center before it launched in 99 as monster.com. We went on to build Startup Direct Employers Association, steer Recruit Military um, toward uh, revenue as CXO, and build Ronstetz, which is a big um, agencies, uh, First Military Veteran Hiring Program. Um, He is also a professional podcaster today um, and is uh, doing the Chad and Cheese podcast together with Joel. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am handing it over to Dr. Adjunla, who will set the scene for us. Uh, IFOMA, AI and Deployment in 2023, what does that look like?
3: What does uh, AI in HR or recruiting look like? Um, Slightly bleak is probably my answer. So um, as you mentioned, I have a forthcoming book uh, titled The Quantified Worker. Um, As the title suggests, I do take kind of a critical view um, to the role of AI in the workplace. And one of my chapters, actually two of my chapters is devoted to automated hiring and the role that AI plays in that, um, be it in terms of sorting um, applicants through um, ATS applicant tracking systems, or through um, the use of automated video interviewing, um, and what sort of like pseudoscience can come from that. Um, So, you know, with the book, I'm, I'm really very interested in the role that AI is already playing uh, in the workplace, um, which I think is somewhat getting subsumed by the conversation around, you know, chat, GPT, DALI, all this generative AI, right? That's supposedly going to put workers out of work and just take over the workplace. Um, And then unbeknownst to us, we've already had, you know, AI. to be quite frank, I don't like the term AI. I actually prefer the, time, the term automated decision-making because that's what really these things are. Um, but we already have automated decision-making in the workplace long before Chat um and any of those generative AI. Um, currently, we have automated hiring systems that are actually... Um, very actively affecting workers' lives. Um, And this is uh, impacting, uh, you know, who's considered a candidate for recruiters. It is impacting um, how the candidate experiences the hiring process. Even just, you know, putting in your application, you basically have to run the gauntlet of um, automated hiring algorithms that may be looking for certain keywords or maybe... um, designed to eliminate candidates based on gaps in employment and other things like that, that might actually have a discriminatory impact um, on workers. So I write about that in the book. So please pick up the book, The Quantified Worker, coming out soon, uh, available for pre-order. Um, but I think what I really want to talk about with with Joel and Chad is what trends that they're seeing um, with AI yes. and HR, right? Ignoring the Well, not totally ignoring, but, you know, getting past the chat GPT hype, you know, getting past all the generative AI, putting people out of work. What is uh, AI doing currently in the recruitment space?
0: Well, first, I want to thank uh, Mona for having us on, and I I particularly want to thank tenure, because without tenure, I'm not sure a couple of clowns like us would be on a on a podcast or a webinar like this. So I want to thank (laughs) thank tenure and thank Mona uh, for having us on. And I think before uh, we talk about current state and where we're going, which is very important, I think it's important also to look back a little bit at the history of, of A.I. and Uh, In our intros, everyone knows that Chad and I are pretty old. And when Chad and I first got into the business world, you literally sent a, 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 a a paper resume with a paper cover letter to an employer. In that world, it's very hard to apply to many, many jobs. The Internet changed that. The Internet enabled people to shotgun their resume to literally thousands of employers. And when that happened employers were like oh hell how do we control the flow of all these resumes and the early days of filtering that was like pre-screening questions it could be as easy as are you 18 or over uh could you have a driver's license like the filtering started pretty simple uh in simple format and it was not uh generally not discriminatory against uh, race and age and things like that as Technology evolved, and we got away more from posting a job online. It became finding people online. And we can thank LinkedIn and others for that. So, uh, in addition to posting jobs, recruiters were then okay, find people. And then services came out that tried to match these people that are online with jobs that are online. And the early iterations of that, as Chad and I know, were really, really bad um, and didn't really work very well. So, technology evolved databases of people. How do you search them? How do you find them? All these things have evolved into what it is today and what we're talking about today. But it's also important to, I think, to highlight that there's no conspiracy to like screw over people in this process. These are engineers that sit in a room and go, wouldn't it be cool if we could like look at someone's face and how they answer questions and are they more likely to be lying about this than otherwise? There was no like, you know, conspiracy to screw over uh, people of diversity and, and diverse candidates, but it's kind of turned into that, unfortunately. And I think that's what we're talking about today. But I, th- I wanted to, to kind of set the table historically with how this thing was sort of born. And it's become a bit of a Frankenstein's monster that we're trying to figure out, OK, how do we fix this? Government's involved. Employers are involved. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt in this. And Hopefully we can we can set some of that fear and and doubt to rest as we, we talk about some of these issues. But that's sort of my take on the current state of things, looking at the past to explain the current day and future.
1: Well, and, and a couple of things Joel was talking about. That's all scale. Right. And I mean, that's that's what we're going to be talking about today. But that's scale. When you could when you had to actually mail or you couldn't email at the time, you faxed right? You faxed in your, your, your resume, you car- hand-carried it in. Well, imagine that day versus the next day when you got flooded with hundreds of resumes. Well, what happened? Most of those went into a black hole because recruiters didn't have time to get to them because they, did, they couldn't scale. That's, that's the big change. Now, what we didn't ask then, what we should ask now is what Joel was alluding to with regard to facial recognition and all those things is not can we, it's should we. Should we actually go that way? And in talking about bias, the, the history of bias is, is rooted in humanity, not AI. The difference is scaling bias. Humans don't scale well. The best that we can scale is through training, right? We can train people to be biased, and then you have armies of people going out to be biased. But AI scales in an instant. So some of the best and most powerful systems can carry bias, and if we don't pay attention to the outcomes and, and and feverishly audit the algorithms, we're going to have bias. Regulations do not distinguish between human and AI bias. Bias is bias. It's just that bias can scale much faster w- with AI. That's where we need to focus, where we're hearing all these glitz and glamour things about chat GPT, which I think is demonstrating that we're getting closer to the promise of, of AI than all this vaporware we've been talking about for years. But then we talk about and, and, and we know history from uh, Amazon building an algorithm. The This is the can we? Yes, they can. They should have asked, should we? And they shouldn't because they automatically failed sourcing and hiring experiments by knocking out females why because they were feeding the algorithm the the machine they were training it on data that was what it was biased that was human behavioral bias and what happened the machine spit out bias so as we start to have these conversations it's the can we should we but it's also understanding that we have to innovate. So as we innovate, we also need strong regulatory uh, entities to ensure that the enforcement and the standards are clear, which we we just don't have today.
3: Yeah, that's I think that's such a great so many great points, Chad. Um, You know, and, you know, also to go back to Joel's point first about thinking about the historical development of automated hiring. Um, It's it's funny that you brought that up because uh, a co-author and I actually researched how did automated hiring come about? How was it even advertised when it first came out such that companies could take it on? And it was this idea that, a lot of it was trying to find talent away from your geographical location, and it was actually the advent of um, software development that um, drove a lot of automated hiring development, which is that we need you know, a software developer. We don't necessarily have them all concentrated in Silicon Valley like you have now. Let's find them wherever they are. And first, you know, people would mail in their resumes on like a CD-ROM, right? Uh, You know, they would do all their like, you know, little coding tests on a CD-ROM and send that in. And that was like, okay, that's not so efficient. What if we had a centralized sort of thing now that we have the internet, right, where people can just access it from anywhere and do that? Um, And then when the first automated hiring programs are being developed, to go to Chad's point, one of the slogans, right, one of the advertising slogans was, clone your best worker, right? So, just just sit and think about that slogan, clone mm-hmm. your best worker. So, automated hiring programs were never really meant to diversify the workplace, right, which is somewhat how they're sort of viewed now or used now by a lot of corporations. They were really meant to replicate exactly what you already had. So you take your best best worker and you clone them. So if you think about historical bias, right? Historical human bias, such as workplaces where women have been shut out, right? Workplaces where there are not really a lot of minorities. When you have an automated hiring program, then what you're doing is not so much eliminating the bias, right, as Chad mentioned, but you're actually exacerbating it because then you're just basically trying to clone your best workers. So you, unless you're very careful and thoughtful and deliberate, um, an automated hiring program is just going to come in and replicate bias and do it at scale. That's also important as Chad mentioned, right? Because as I mentioned in my book, one biased human manager can maybe affect you know, I don't know thousands of resumes in their tenure as you know a recruiter or a manager, but a program, right, that's written in a way that's biased or trained in a way that results in, you know, bias getting encoded in can impact millions of people, right? It can impact millions of people. You know, as you, as you touch on chat, it's just so important to start thinking about regulations. Um, thus far, I feel that automated hiring has been really a wild, wild west. It's really, anybody can create an automated hiring program. And we've seen this, right? I th- I know you've seen this in industry, and just make claims about what this automated hiring program can do. And a lot of the claims are about, oh, it'll just find you more diverse workers. Oh, it will just create, you know, um all these avenues of talent for you, right? A lot of it is snake oil, right? Um, and the question is, why is that why is that allowed to exist? Why do we not have regulations um to curb uh you know misuse of automated hiring? Acknowledging right that it can have its uses, like Joe mentioned before, it can't allow for this efficiency in finding talent, efficiency in applying, right, efficiency for the applicant. But we need regulations. So my next question for you guys is: I mean, I have I have my thoughts on what regulations should be in place. But as industry players, what are your thoughts about what in regulations we need?
1: so i mean any vendor that says that their tech is compliant and not biased should shouldn't be trusted right out of the gate because it's not the tech that's biased i think i think we we've, we've we've already established that it's the humans driving the tech meaning the developers perspectively on the on the, the vendor side but also the hiring companies as we take a look at regulations today it's focused on outcomes, right? So we, and I don't think that changes. We, we have to, we have to take a look at outcomes, but again, we're scaling outcomes differently than we did just, just five, 10 years ago. So being able to take a look at the frameworks that we currently have, because know that we know that government doesn't, doesn't move as fast as technology and or business, that we can take some of those frameworks that already exist and, and they work and we just need to enforce them. Now, being able to move past that to, you know, some of the regulations uh, and and standards around uh, auditing, like in in New York City, uh, you know, I I believe their move forward is smart. It sends a signal, it sends a message, uh, but they are going to have to work toward ensuring that there are frameworks and standards in place so that companies aren't throwing their hands up in the air saying well i don't know what to do they, they they do need direction there's no question although the direction right now is current regulation and outcomes
0: i think ultimately there are going to be some features they're that are, are going to have to be outlawed i think automation with video i don't know how that gets like rubber stamped approved like there there's so many pitfalls in that so something like that i could see like your your technology cannot do that now um other things like with people with disabilities that can't you know speak in a more fluid manner like things that are gaps in speech can't be a feature that eliminates someone from getting to the next level of an interview so to me it's like ultimately certain features of the the tech that pre-screen or get someone to the actual human being interview Are going to have to be outlawed many things in in automation are great uh you know i i have a 16 year old son that that just got his first job and i can tell you that applying through mcdonald's with a conversational chat bot versus sending in a paper resume at your local subway the mcdonald's experience is far better uh and and there was no in terms of bias it's like you pass the main, the main stuff, we'll schedule an interview, you can manage all that with automation, that's great. But I think a lot of these core things that discriminate are gonna have to be uh, illegal, outlawed and vendors won't be able to create those features and employers won't be able to leverage those features going forward. I think uh, we're seeing that a little bit on the local level, uh, state level. Illinois has a great case uh, with facial recognition, uh, a company called Hireview, that a lot of people know um, so these things are coming out at a state and local level, but eventually on a federal level, uh, these things are going to have to come into play. I think a real challenge, though, uh, is everyone's work from home. It's a global workplace. We're hiring people everywhere. And then that creates a contractor versus an employee situation. So are there are there loopholes around this or where you hire? So, again, it, it becomes really complicated. But here in the U.S., I think there's going to have to be a, a an effort to say, look, these features we're not. We're not going to stand for it because they're discriminatory.
3: I I so wholeheartedly agree. I'm I'm so glad you brought up the video interviewing uh, issue. Um, you know that's also something I, I write about in the book and in my research for that. What I noted, you know, in speaking with people who had been subjected to it, was just the great potential for um, accent discrimination. Um, the great potential for the use of pseudoscience, where supposedly algorithms are able to accurately determine somebody's emotion or even determine somebody's like trustworthiness or if they're lying, is just rife with um, all kinds of uh, potential abuses and known abuses. So mm-hmm. I just think that video interviewing, especially when purporting to read emotion or do facial analysis, that it just has to be banned. Mm-hmm. But this also brings me to a point that Chad made, which is this idea of, you know, so in my book, I talk about ex ante versus ex post regulations. And so Ch- Chad touched upon like audits, right, as a type of ex post regulation, which is looking at outcomes, right, and seeing are these outcomes good? Are these outcomes something we want? And if they're not, Um, you know, we need to change them or we need to change how we got to them. So that seems like it's very exposed where you've already launched the automated hiring. But I also want to push upon, like, we shouldn't forget ex-anti-regulations, right? And outright banning, right, is an ex-anti-regulation. It's like, we just know that's bad. We're just going to ban that. We're not going to try to do an audit. We're just not going to do automated video interviewing. But- Should we also be thinking about ex-anti-regulation in the form of design features? So, for example, one design feature that I'm proposing and I'm, you know, trying to push the EOC to mandate is the idea that you actually keep a record. So right now, automated hiring programs are not required to keep a record of all the applications, whether they pass, you know, through to be interviewed by an interviewer or not, a human interviewer and even the interview attempts. So I actually think we might need an ex anti-regulation, which is the design of the automated hiring has to allow or actually mandate record keeping, where every person that applies, there's a record of that. And even failed applications, because with the research I was doing, I was finding that some automated hiring platforms they were actually preventing people from completing the application. So they were already calling people even before they could complete the application. So just to give you an example of that, I know it's hard to imagine. I try to, you know, as part of my research, fill out an application for a major retailer. This is a think major, huge, you know, clothes, groceries, everything in one place kind of retailer. And in the application, I, you know, pretending to be different types of people. And one type of person was somebody who has a limited amount of time to work per day. So somebody that could fit the profile of, say, a a stay-at-home mother most of the time, like somebody that would need to pick up their kids from school at 12, you know, 2.30 or 3. Mm -hmm. So I put my availability from 9 to 2. What I found I could not actually complete the application, even though I had checked that I was applying for a part-time position, right? And my availability was certainly enough for a part-time position. I could not actually complete the application. The application just would not refresh till the next page until I checked that I had unlimited availability.
1: Okay. So the, the question around that is is that is that a is that a technical issue from the vendor standpoint, or is that a a, right. a corporate, a corporate issue? right? Because right. the company could be dictating that. There's a separation between vendor and, and process right. and um, standard operating. But
3: but, but the produces. program is allowing that. The program has to be programmed to allow that, right? Yeah. So yeah. should we have basically design mandates? Like you can't do certain X types of programs. Do you see what I'm saying? So whether it's a you know corporation mandating it or the vendor, mm. if the vendor says we can't actually legally des- design that, for you,
1: well, yeah. the the question for me is, I mean, yeah. so so first and foremost, that's what that's what audits are for, and that's what mm-hmm. being a, that, that's what standards are for. So being able to 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 actually point out where they're going awry with regard to standards, and you can't apply because at that point you don't become a candidate. You don't become a candidate, then you're not in the audit. You're not in the talent pool. Right, that's a step that yeah. you needed to take to be able to actually be quote-unquote part of the record keeping process so they were stopping that i don't think that right. is the 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 vendor's fault number one uh, i think mm-hmm. you know it's a, the difference between adding seatbelts to a car and allowing uh somebody to uh to to actually take a left or a right whether they're taking the mm-hmm. wrong directions or not right so we have to be careful Around mm-hmm. what we actually dictate vendors to do, is that their responsibility or is that the responsibility of an organization who could be following, you know, EEOC or OFCCP being, being, a, being a government mm-hmm. contractor rule? So, I think personally, from my standpoint, being in the OFCCP space for, for a very long time, you know, I, it, that's on the employer. Now, are there some aspects where the vendor should definitely stay away. Much like the Higher View instance, yes, I, I think again that's the that's the, the 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 can we should we kind of uh, of conversations, and that's pretty much where Illinois they stood up, they pointed directly at Higher View and said you're the problem. So we we need to start pointing out platforms and features and issues mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. are the problem, and uh, and again do that through regulation. And at that point, I mean, nobody's going to buy it. Yeah. And, and, and we are a capitalist, organiz- you know, uh, country. So therefore, people are not going to buy it if it is against the law. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's a little bit of a, a buyer beware uh, highlight here uh, mm-hmm. not to pick on HireVue. Oh, what the hell? Let's hit, let's pick on HireVue. Um, so yeah. uh, so HireVue uh, in the last six months or so has updated their terms of service. <laughs> to essentially say that, hey, employer, if something happens legally, it's your fault, not ours. You're going to see more and more vendors try to try to uh, immunize or vaccinate themselves against legal issues and put the blame on employers. So if you're an employer, make sure, you know, like the vendors you use, what kind of indemnity or or threats or dangers might there be if their tech is discriminatory because you're probably on the hook if their tech is discriminating against candidates that you're interviewing and hiring.
1: And I think that was in direct response to California because California is trying to push through regulations that actually start to hold uh, the vendors responsible for yeah. some of these issues. So again we're, we're seeing we're seeing some 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 play here, right some gamesmanship uh, but again I, there, there's a, a huge buyer beware not to mention we talk about you know we talk about auditing who should audit, who's credentialed to audit, and who's just audit washing. I mean, we saw, I think uh, Mona actually published uh, a study around Pymetrics where they were audit washing. They were paying an organization to say, everything was fine, everything is good. And this was, I think, before they were even acquired, which brings up some, some other issues, legal mm-hmm. issues. At the end of the day, there, there are many of these steps that we need to think about. We need to be incredibly intentional and thoughtful about putting frameworks and standards in place so that we don't have uh, organizations going off the rails like we've seen, vendors going off the rails, and hiring companies going off the rails. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks?
0: <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. TextKernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways, TextKernel uh, brings efficiency and
1: productivity to your operations. TextKernel seamlessly unifies your tools
0: and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. Get ready to use
1: today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit techskernel.com. That's T E X T K E R N E L
0: dot com. Mmm, nachos.
2: <laughs> Thank you for those um, contributions. I'm so glad that we kind of got to the juicy bits right away, which is regulation <laughs> and <laughs> enforcement of regulation. It's what um, we do. Yeah. So on that, on the kind of capital A audit question, um, you brought up kind of some very concrete issues um, and questions here, all three of you. Thank you for that. With colleagues from data science, journalism, and um, psychology, we actually conducted a stealth audit of two personality assessment tools that are used in the hiring space, Crystal and Humantic. And we found some instabilities in there that kind of show that these instruments are not really fit for purpose. For example, we found that one of the tools would predict a different personality type for the same person, depending on whether the resume was uploaded as raw text or as PDF, for example. So non-job relevant kind of elements that skewed the result here. Now, that work was extremely cumbersome. It was interdisciplinary. I think that that is definitely needed, that we kind of have a not just a purely technical approach here and end up with a statement that says, oh, we just need to make the algorithm better. But there are reasons behind the fact that some of these technologies can't work because they are snake oil, as uh, Ifoma said. So that was a long process and it um, was kind of a bootstrapped um, project. You know, there isn't necessarily funding available um, for that and so my big question for the two of you is, Who? how should we actually design that whole regulation enforcement process vis-a-vis audits? Who is going to pay for, what, for that? We can all say we all need independent audits. We need stealth audits. But then what? Who is going to do it and who is going to pay for it?
1: I have a shortcut. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands of government contractors that are out there today who receive hundreds of Millions of billions of dollars okay they, they can easily if they want the government's money which they obviously do they uh, could definitely have to go through a, a battery of tests for the tech stack that they use and uh, Ifoma is actually talking about the, the applicant tracking system or earlier which is really a relic of, of, of our past we now work in a tech stack where there's more than just one piece piece of tech where before we just had an applicant tracking system and that was our record keeping process today we are much more advanced, and there are some incredibly powerful systems that are out there today that are, are stacked, you know, all the way from you know, a uh, uh, programmatic outreach to, to the chatbot application process that Joel talked about, dynamic screening, screening matching, engagement. There's so many different things that, that actually happen. What we need to do is we need to find easy ways to at least start the process, and it's very simple. I'm a taxpayer. If you want my money, you have to go through those batteries, uh, the battery of tests to be able to get those hundreds of millions and or billions of dollars of contracts. That, to me, seems like the the easiest way forward to get to get this moving.
0: The answer, Mona and, and Chad touched on this to all of your questions is money. Um, so when you look at. They're probably, you know, employers are driven and technologies are created in large part because of supply and demand and features are built because employers say we want that. Right. So if you create a system where an employer says, I'm not going to buy your tech unless you've got the seal of approval from blank, then that vendor is encouraged uh, if they want to stay in business, to get that badge, whatever that looks like, in order to sell their product to employers. Now, does that badge come from a, a, a government agency? I prefer it not to. I would prefer private companies to create an audit system that is approved by the government that then they can say, hey, we're going to run a fine-tooth comb through your tech we're going to do an audit that's approved by the government, and we're going to give you our seal of approval that this is this is approved by the government agency or body that we've been audited ourselves by to provide this badge. If you created an ecosystem where the employer felt confident buying from the vendor, the vendor felt confident selling it because they've been audited by an approved auditor, then you've got a winner. Now, how we get there? somebody smarter than me is going to have to figure that out. But that's, I think, the environment that you have to create for everyone to be comfortable buying and selling products and services.
1: It's our current process now for OFCCP and distribution of jobs. It's, it's our current process. We set a standard. The OFCCP has education and enforcement. Then there is a layer of what Joel talked about, these these organizations who know what the standards are and they help the companies abide by the standards. It's, it's something that we already have in place. So it's not recreating the wheel. It's a process methodology that we already have. It's just new tech that we have to be able to to, to credential.
3: Yeah. I- I fully am so on board. Um, you know, especially the idea of certification. (laughs) We're done. We're done. (laughs) Um it's so funny because I actually wrote a paper about this in 2020 about um creating something called the Fair Automated Hiring Mark. Um, and this would be a certification. Um, and I likened it to like how you know you have you know certified green buildings. So it could be uh, you know, like Joel mentioned, a third party. You know, certifying that these um, automated hiring programs do meet, you know, the required standards of the EOC. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm not sure that the EOC can't get involved. It it seems like you're very much against that, Joel. But in my paper, I'm more open ended. It could be the EOC actually getting involved and issuing this certification. Or it could be a third party. I see pros and cons either way, right? So with with the EEOC, obviously, they are a government agency. They have a lot of other things on their plate as well, right? Um, With the third party, that's a new market, right? There's going to be people who will want to, you know, enter that market and provide that service. But there's also the con of, you know, could it be co-opted, right? Could we get, you know, certifications are not necessarily on the up and up, right? But I, I tend to agree with you, Joel, that it is about money. So I don't think that most third-party agencies will get away. Uh, I mean, third-party you know, certification programs would get away with certifying things that don't work because they will get found out, right, They're sooner or later. Yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. And then no one will go with them. So yeah. that's, that's exactly what I argued in my paper. So I tend to very much agree with you. I also see that audits are part of this process. So, you know, we had talked about audits to be as being like an, you know, ex post regulation, but I actually think it could be an ex anti regulation where you audit the, the algorithm or you audit the program before it's even launched. And that audit is what is what allows it to be certified. Now, would I say that audit is enough? Would I say that's the only thing you have to do and then that's it? No. So in my paper, what I actually say is that even with the certification, the EOC should still mandate that the employer do internal audits, you know, on a sort of you know, timely basis. I don't know what the time frame for would be. If that's something you know they can work out, but that they are required to do these regular audits and also keep the results of the audits. Because then if there is a lawsuit, they would be required to provide the results of the audit. Let me yeah, let me hit you real quick
1: on that one because I, I don't think that being able to audit it before makes any sense because when we're talking about AI, it's all about the information the, the algorithm's trained on. So if it's trained on nothing, then, I mean, it, you're really auditing nothing. You're auditing behavior. Again, the, the AI itself is not generally the problem. The Amazon's AI wasn't really generally the problem. It was the information mm-hmm. that was fed into it. So the machine... Is what it's fed. It's what it learns, right? So, right, but, there's, but there are the
3: training, approach. there are training models out there you can use. So, right now, there's been a big move, right, for like training models to be made available, um, you know, on a on an open source basis. Yeah. So there are lots of training data that can be used for audits. Mm-hmm. Now, will it be specific to perhaps you know the the specific corporation? No. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say that first audit can't be the, you know, be all and end all right. The individual or, uh, you know, specific corporation still has to do the have to do the internal audits because then they're using their own specific data. But I still believe that you can audit the program before it's launched, just using all the training data that's out there. Free of charge.
1: It's going to be an entirely different animal of uh, the data that it's trained sure.
3: against, it's right? Possible, so, possible. so it's,
1: it's taken us forty-nine minutes to get to ChatGPT. ChatGPT uh, could could actually be an entirely different animal if it was trained sure. on current data. I, I understand sure. what you're saying from a basic philosophy mm-hmm. standpoint, but to be quite frank, it can grow into uh, it, using those those standards. Moving forward, the, the the biggest point of audit for me is after it starts eating that data.
3: Sure, but even using the chat GPT example, not to be you know pedantic, you're seeing the problems already, right? Okay. Because what is chat GPT right now if not basically a huge audit, right? Where like basically everybody using chat GPT is beta testing for them right they're doing the yeah. audits for that right now so you have all this like wide variety of data and you're still seeing problems different types of problems right depending on who you know is interacting with chat gpt and what type of data they're putting in but you are seeing the genres of problems already so i yeah. think i think that's useful i think that's useful so before we go down (laughs)
2: further the chat gpt rabbit hole um just another call to the (laughs) audience that um we'll be starting to ask some audience questions um very soon so um feel free to drop them into the q a uh, box to the right of your screen um i want to shift gears just a little bit and talk a little bit more about the hr tech industry per se um we kind of you know have very concrete ideas about regulation how this could be done who should pay for it but as people who are not in that sector in that industry it would be very useful to understand like what does that sector look like who is who are the players? What are the specific tools, especially the quote unquote AI driven tools that are out there? And what are the tools that recruiters really like to latch onto? Cause I know there are some that they're just being mandated to use and others that they really love. Um, so maybe uh, Joel and Chet, you can give us a little bit more insight knowledge onto that whole space that is quite hidden from public view, to be honest
0: hidden from public view the dark web of recruitment we talk a lot about automated recruiting and we talk about augmented recruiting and I I feel like the augmented stuff is is catching on much more than the automated stuff in terms of uh, recruiters so you've got conversational AI okay you know basic questions 24 hours a day ask a chat bot on your phone or on whatever career site you're on. Like that's embraced. Conversational AI um, is not going anywhere. Um, scheduling, automated scheduling, right? Scheduling is a pain in the butt. So if you can augment that for a recruiter, like that's going to be popular. So you have companies like GoodTime. Most most chat bots or conversational AI solutions have scheduling as well uh, that people can control. That um, the other one I think is is probably like sourcing. In other words, we have a huge database of people. Here's my job. Now, go find me people who qualify for that job. And the augmentation or the the, the robot says, OK, here's everyone in, in this database that we think you should be talking to or recruiting. So those those kinds of three things or anything that is a real pain in the butt or time consuming is being replaced and embraced by recruiters from my perspective.
1: Yeah, it, my, my favorite, and I think has the most promise is that uh, companies today spend hundreds of millions of dollars. On recruitment marketing alone. And that's just push pushing jobs out to be able to pull people in. Right? Well, then they build these candidate databases that that we call them the black hole, where candidates go. Well, they've got these amazing matching technologies that give you an opportunity to use that database that you spent all that money on to be able to draw those individuals back in to apply for like positions or positions that they could prospectively be more qualified for. So there's a lot of heavy lifting for that. That's just an invite, right? And that's something that uh, is, is a lot of heavy lifting from a data standpoint, but if you have the the behavior of the candidates and you have their, their past and you know what jobs they meet the requirements for. That's an easy match just to invite them back to apply for uh, another job. Uh, there are some my favorites, in, in, and I mean, we we obviously you know with the chat and cheese podcast we have we have sponsors, but uh, but my favorites, I mean, you're talking about programmatic job distribution, uh, you're talking about matching, you're talking about uh, conversational AI. So the, the the thing that I think that GBT is is brought to us is first and foremost demonstrating that the promise of AI is finally meeting today, right? We've been seeing vaporware for years and, and vaporware is pretty much just the promise that just would never never came true. Today I think the promise is starting to come true with, with some of these products uh, and now that that's pretty powerful. And then being able to have transparency which ChatGPT provides. If we see more of that from our industry and recruiting and, and outsourcing and, and all these things, then I think you know we aren't trying to look into a black box. We have more transparency and we understand what's happening and how it's a part of the process itself. Because to be quite frank, building a tech stack for most talent acquisition professionals is like trigonometry for goodness yeah. sakes.
0: Yeah, I feel it's it's a hard question to answer because there are so many providers. It's not like the days where where do I post my job to make sure everyone in the U.S. can get it? Like, we'll go to Monster, go to Career, Career Builder. Mm-hmm. I mean, your best your best tool is either a, a really good agency, a recruitment ad agency that knows these tools, or go to a G two or go to a Product Hunt. Look at reviews. Ask ask your colleagues on LinkedIn who they use um it's really dependent upon your needs your location what you're hiring for. like there are so many variables it's a hard question to ask or answer uh and chen i get that question all the time like who should we use to to solve all of our problems and unfortunately there's no silver bullet that we can recommend that everyone can just get on easy street uh with their recruiting automation tools
2: apropos um silver bullet. I'm going to ask a question that I get often uh, when I'm being you know, asked about my own research on this topic, which is um, how do you trick the system as a candidate? And that's also something that, of course, is interesting for our students. If I us laughing, uh, we get that question, you know, how do I tweak my CV? We have this kind of urban myth of oh you just put the keyword words in white font on your CV and then the system picks it up and pushes you up on the ranking so i hear kind of these myths and then when i interview recruiters and sorcerers for my research they kind of categorically deny that that's even a thing and say like absolutely not you cannot trick the system and you cannot trick me and i'm so curious to hear your responses to kind of that whole space that whole question candidates but, and ai
1: it,
0: it's funny that how you say how much time the, do you have the white text how yeah, much time is left
1: it's funny it's funny you say the white text because that's like circa 1998. SEO, yeah. yeah that was i mean that was one of the things that we were doing it was all keyword search back then Meta tags it was It was all and, and we were te- we, i mean we were actually teaching um we were teaching employers. How to HTML some of those keywords at the bottom of their job descriptions as well, so that they would rank higher. So I mean, it was happening on both sides, and it will continue to happen on both sides. So the the gaming, and we talk about ghosting and how you know uh, candidates ghost employers. Well, they ghost employers because employers ghosted them first, right? It's it's a learned behavior. So I think for for me, the the one that's that, that's hardest for me to believe is is you know the the, the psycho that happens out there and all these pseudoscience sciences, which, you know, I call psychobabble in most cases, because I can go through and answer questions differently as I think they want me to answer them, to, to try to trick the system into what I think they want versus who I really am. Right. And, and not to mention, I mean, if you take a look at a lot of the data that's out there, uh, you know, females. Won't apply for jobs unless they are more qualified, 100% qualified, or even more, versus men who could be like 20% qualified and we don't care. It's like, ah, I can do the job. Right. So it's like, how do you, that's almost like tricking the system itself. I see what the requirements are, but I'm going to go ahead and just push past that. And, and, and click on apply, because yeah. I, I think I'm qualified for the job, whether they think I am or not. So it's been happening. And as Joel said, there are so many different ways for a candidate to trick the system. But there's also even more ways for the employers to trick the system.
0: I love this question, because we talk so much about employment tools that are automated. The job seekers have automated tools, too. Uh, but to get to get to the tricking your resume question yes those white you know white text on white background that's really that's don't do that however there are some really sound seo strategies that you should still be using like a good title a good you know like a structure like this is for real robots that are that are scraping your resume are dumb make it easy as hell for a robot to read your resume so like Go to Google Docs or wherever, like get the most basic formatted resume and use that as your resume. Don't get fancy with columns or images or oh, graphs or like like it. straight text, man. Make it as simple like imagine a robot is reading your resume. Make it as easy as possible to get your content. Now, back to some of the other stuff that you're talking about. Um, we had a story that we talked about on our podcast. Recently, about an agency, an ad agency who uh, vetted candidates for a job, a copywriter. And the copywriter answered every question with Chat GPT. So they actually didn't even answer on their own. They answered through Chat GPT and they actually got through to the final round of interviews by using Chat GPT. And then, of course, they were sort of like, hey, I, this was an experiment um but employers need to be aware that job seekers are going to get really good at applying to a lot of jobs as if they're a human being going through the automated interviewing process and how do you police that how do you really cut through the best candidates if they're all using a nat- you know natural language processor to answer your interview questions like it It sounds like a sci-fi movie, but we're basically almost at a point where robots are interviewing robots to figure out who actually gets to speak to each other face to face. and that does nobody any good uh, because it's not really who they are. So it's getting a little bit weird out there. We'll see how it how it you know shakes out. but, the job seeker side of this equation is real and it's it's something that we need to be aware of. Are you struggling to attract the talent you need today? Do you lack visibility into where your recruitment ad dollars are really going? and wasted spending. And hello to optimized automated campaigns that produce qualified applicants. At Acquire ROI, we make job advertising easy. Visit us at acquireroi.com and start transforming your talent acquisition today.
1: And Mona, from the the experiment that that, uh, you talked about earlier where a PDF versus Word documents, some parsers will get broken with PDF documents. So therefore you will get different results if you're using a pdf versus word that's that's happening and it has been happening most most of the 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 more advanced parsers don't have that issue but
0: uh not all text only baby
2: text only which is really interesting because it it is really the talking with the machine and to the machine right and and sort of how do we, well, how do we trick the machine so we can get around it quicker so we can actually talk to a human, whether that's you're, actually a recruiter or a candidate? You're not really, tr- you're not really tricking a candidate. it.
0: Like, I don't like the word trick. I like the word optimize. Like you're making it as easy for a robot to read your resume, index it, and then make it searchable, scannable, bring it together with what our algorithms are sourcing that candidate. I think the word trick is, is, an, is not a good word. I know English isn't your first language, uh, but like <laughs> optimization or standards, I think are better than like teaching people how to trick well, the robots.
1: In yeah. tech, in tech be, is like a three-year-old at this point. Yeah, tech is like yeah. a three-year-old at this point. You're you're doing baby talk to it versus oh, yeah. trying to trying to use PhD level. Uh, oh, you yeah. know, uh, <laughs> some
0: of this some of this shit. I don't know if I can cuss or not on this webinar, but some of this Do stuff. <laughs> is homemade like some of these recruiters are like hackers self-taught programmers and they're making up their own stuff so like that's super simple so yeah make make sure your resume is as simple as possible kids
2: be good data um i want to take the last 10 (laughs) minutes that we have together to bring in the audience who have been extremely active actually in the q a we have a ton of questions so i'm gonna um throw specific questions to one of you so um, I'm going to start with, with one that I find really interesting. Um, Ushnush actually says that focus has been on AI and hiring, but should we pay more attention to AI in the firing process? If FOMA, I think that one is for you.
3: Yes. Yeah, so I'm so glad somebody asked that. Actually, I I have been looking at that and been thinking to write a paper on that. Um, here is the problem from a legal standpoint. Um, you have more recourses when you are not hired and you should have been hired than when you've already been hired and then fired, as long as you were not fired for a, an explicitly discriminatory reason. Um, uh, so just to simplify that, most of the U.S. is employment at will. So it means you can be fired for any reason, as long as it's not about your race, your gender, you know, your religion. Right. So it's a little more tricky for workers to basically have recourse when they are fired by algorithm, as I'm, I'm, call, I'm calling my people firing by algorithm. So, so it's really comes down to, well, OK, like maybe you're not going to be able to get your job back if you're fired by algorithm, but should there still be some sort of regulation about Treating humans that way, right? Um, do humans deserve um, some sort of explanation, some sort of human contact when they're getting fired? I think so, <laughs> right? Uh, but I'm also not a CEO of a major corporation with, you know, thousands of workers. Um, so I, I'd love to hear from you industry people, like how yeah. what do you feel about this, you know, trend towards firing people by algorithm right. as we've seen so many companies doing now, whether it's algorithm or just you know an email or t- some people got an automated text um that they were fired. Sure what do you uh, think of this trend i, I think Joel, you
2: can take that and then we'll, we'll move on to the next uh, questions because we have a, a whole bunch
0: oh okay, yeah i'll take that one um so i think it, i think some of it's country specific i think you know I, I, the thing i say on the podcast is this is america jack and we're really good at firing people there was a time where that was really taboo uh, i think we're getting away from that i think getting fired via email getting fired via text we're just becoming either numb to it or we just accept it. Now, country by country, that's going to be different. But in terms of America, um, I think it's going to happen. Look, again, to chat GPT, uh, we did a show the uh, the other the other day about the black hole and not getting a, you know, thanks. But we've moved on to another candidate. Right. So you can go to chat GPT today and say hey, write a, uh, write a letter to a candidate uh, who didn't get the job saying you're sorry, blah, 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 for this job description. And chat GPT will, will create a really nice little form letter that could go out automatically to these candidates. And that can also happen with employees. So you could really easily create a natural language processing uh, strategy where letters go out to people that sound really nice and sound really human-esque to let people go. So I think yes, it's, it's the future, whether you like it or not, corporate America doesn't give a shit. Uh, That's the way that it's going to go because again, it's efficient. You don't have to have the, the uncomfortable conversation face-to-face about thanks for playing, but we're moving on that it's going to be automated as well. And people will just take it like most of the things that they take in the workforce.
2: Thank you for that. I think we should have a whole co-opting on that, on that one, maybe maybe later in the semester. Um, I'm going to move us on and I'm going to combine two questions. Um, from Sig Silberman and Heather Moffat. And so it sounds like in five to 10 years, we should be expected to see a lot of technical standards from bodies such as ISO, ANSI, NIST, IEEE to become important in this space. So question is, is that plausible? And I'm gonna tag on Heather's question Um, Who's asking what if there was a sample data set that could be used by this standards body? Wouldn't companies feel more confident running through this to ensure no adverse impact prior to launch uh, and help um, with the adoption of these technologies? Chat, this one's for you.
0: Yeah, I think because I, I don't have enough degrees to any, even understand that question.
1: Any any organization that 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 has standing. Yes, that would be that would be wonderful. We're in the Wild West right now. Right. So I think I think the, the 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 best we can do is start to create standards around regulations that we're trying to press as it is. We have laws that are on the books that are already supposed to be in play, you know, like in New York City that we've got to wait now till April. Again, these are signals. And companies should be taking these signals, but also the vendors who already do compliance audits and those types of things should also be taking these signals in building their 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 own somewhat standards and, and working with local, state, and federal governments to be able to apply them. If they have, you know, IEEE or what have you to to to, to back them, that is that is wonderful. I think those types of partnerships make sense.
2: Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to combine a couple of questions on sort of audits. And I know FOMA has sort of one she wanted to tag on here as well. So Jihao Chen, who I'm glad to see in the audience, um, is saying um, that all of you brought up the ex-ante auditing as possible uh, requirement for employment AI. Um, Those are not only possible, but exist in other verticals, such as consumer finance, but one key difference is that employment AI are decision support tools and not usually used in full autonomous business processes. And so it's curious to hear what you think about how AI uh, to aid decisions should be regulated differently from autonomous decision making AI. Um, and then we have um, another question from Nilesh, who is saying, well, in sourcing there perhaps also is a bias in other parts of the process um, in sourcing. Firms are reaching out to candidates on LinkedIn who worked at major consulting firms and went to Ivy League schools. So isn't the process already biased? And so that is part of the AI auditing question. And then a foma, I know you had one about sort of addressing that via the contractor idea that chat um, articulated earlier so i'm gonna to toss it to you and you can decide who gets to answer these three questions
3: yeah so i'll i'll i think this is for chad um you know and definitely joke and jump in of course um but yeah you know chad you, you actually touched on a subject that i perked up immediately because it's been something i've written and you know think about which is the fact that federal contractors right have these higher standards imposed on them for you know making sure they have frankly, a diverse workforce, right? Um, and you know, in terms of in terms of including disabled workers also, for example, mm-hmm. um that, corp- you know, corporations don't have. And you mentioned that this could be kind of a start, right, for regulations and maybe for audits. Um, and I just wanted you to touch ab- about that on that a little bit more because I think, we're still sort of struggling with the idea of what would be a meaningful audit? What would it actually look like? So for other industries like the financial industries, we have Sarbanes-Oxley that lays out, here's what your audit needs to look like, right? Mm-hmm. We now have established industries of auditors. They actually are certified auditors, right? That will come and do the audits. Um, But we don't have that yet um, in the automated hiring space. So, let's say, starting with the contractors, right, which I think is a good low-hanging fruit, Mm -hmm. what would a meaningful audit look like?
1: Well, first and foremost, there is a robust set of uh, contractors and advisors in that space. Uh, So if they're not already... Putting together uh, solutions for this, I would be surprised, uh, because uh, obviously, you know, when when you're talking about OFCCP, you're talking about you know 503 with uh, individuals with disabilities. You're talking about VEVRA, veterans hiring. You're talking about the whole scale of you know diversity and and things that you have to do as a federal contractor. And once again, these are these are higher requirements because you are taking money from the federal government so the federal government wants to ensure that you're meeting these higher standards so again i think this is very simple and could be you know pretty much pretty much uh along with uh ofccp regulations uh the thing is they have to and this is one of the things that eeoc did not do in their in their last uh in their last webinar they did not bring vendors on they did not bring practitioners on they had only academia that is that is literally a tenth of what they needed because the work happens with vendors and practitioners mainly. Academia is there for as advisors, and I think that is amazing research, advice, those types of things. But we need to ensure that we pull the community together and we have a vehicle in which to do that. And it's and the vehicle is money, and that money is government contracts. So I really believe we could pull that together. Uh, and again, that that could be a, a part of OFCCP and the current standards and outcomes that that they have to abide by. There will be additional work that has to be done around trying to understand how these outcomes happened from the scaling of an algorithm, but you still know what the outcome is. This is not something that we don't already see because the hiring is there. The talent pool is there. All of that is, is the same. Nothing's changed. So now all we have to do is dig into the algorithm to understand where it's going wrong.
2: Thank you for that. We are at time. So I want to ask my kind of closing question to all three of you, Joel, I'm going to start with you. Where do you see this space in five years?
0: This space being recruiting or the AI, AI
2: and recruiting, AI and recruiting. Yeah, it's that's
0: it's going to happen. I, I think the guardrails, safety nets, whatever metaphor you want to use uh, are going to be put in place because there's simply too much money to be made slash saved in automating uh, the recruiting process. Even now we're seeing you know companies that are laying off thousands of people, recruiters and HR professionals are part of those layoffs. They're not being brought back or they're being, being brought back as contractors more than people would thought. And most people are looking for these automated tools, these platforms to manage everything from recruiting to payroll to onboarding to offboarding. Like everyone's looking for technology to save money and, and create efficiencies around this. So it's it's going to happen. The legal S, the issues around biases, they might not all get worked out, but they'll get worked out to a point where people aren't afraid to buy services and create new companies and sell services. Like there'll be guardrails created and uh, this thing, this, this, this space will be off to the races in terms of AI.
2: Mm, Thank you for that, Chad. Recruiting,
1: you know, also known as talent acquisition in our space is is literally the beating heart of every company. No product or service is ideated, developed, sold, serviced or customer retained while it's opened without the actual talent that is acquired. Through recruiting, it doesn't exist. So, but it's incredibly underfunded, much like Joel had said. Mm -hmm. So being underfunded means you're flooded with tasks and many of those tasks can be carried out by, you know, uh, robotic process automation or AI. Those tasks, I think within the next five years, at least 70% of those tasks, we will see more augmented recruiters where 70% of their tasks are actually part of rpa or ai and then those individuals depending on the organization and their care for the candidates will will actually use their people to be more human today recruiters can't be as human because they're doing all these stupid little tasks mm-hmm. if you give them their time back so that they can actually give it to the candidates and they can be more human then we can put the the, the human back in human resources
0: mm-hmm. That's by the way a imagine great. imagine That's- Imagine a world um, where uh, you apply to a job at uh, Tesla and Elon Musk is actually the one interviewing you on your, on your screen for a job at up. Tesla. I, I mean, hang up. yes, politics aside, however you feel about <laughs> Elon, but like we're going to a world where video of a human and an actual human, you can't really tell the difference. Uh, and Elon will speak different languages based on where you're, where you're located in the world. Um, this is, this is the where we're going. 5 years is a long time with the how fast the tech is going. I think uh, you'll be you'll be gobsmacked by what it looks like. Okay. I'll give
1: you a great example. We have we have a podcast that we put out in English and we and we have had our voices cloned. Joel's voice and my voice cloned. It is now also in four other languages, German, French, Spanish and Portuguese the AI has translated and cloned our voices in those different languages.
0: Yeah, all it needs is the text.
2: I will I will I will audit the German one. Uh, you but I'm going <laughs> to toss it out. I'm going <laughs> yeah, exactly. to toss it over to Roma. For the last word before I close it off, we're a little over time already.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I really can't add too much more, just to say that I, I do concur with this idea of a move towards more augmented decision making, um, rather than really some sort of a wholesale like transition to AI. Um, so I guess I'm to be more colloquial, I see like basically. Half of the people that have been fired, right, in in favor of GPT, they're gonna be hired back essentially, um, because then we're, we're gonna realize that it's not the same. We still need the humans. Mm-hmm. So yes, I will I do think there will be more, you know, helper AI, more sort of augmenting and also um making more efficient the sort of, you know, mundane tasks, but we're still gonna need that human decision making at the final say. <laughs> Wow, look at you. You made it through an entire episode of the Chat and Chase podcast. Or maybe you cheated and fast-forwarded to the end. Either way, there's no doubt you wish you had that time back. Valuable time you could have used to buy a nutritious meal at Taco Bell. Enjoy a pour of your favorite whiskey. Or just watch big booty Latinas and bugfights on TikTok.